my my opinion at the time was that that um, uh, Bally at all was um, the mob. They they took over the pinball machine business back in the in the thirties. Um, they made it so that people considered it gambling because it was, and and they bought up every company there was in Chicago. Uh, you know, making making any kind of game or doing anything. Uh, they were the mob. They were the mob, and and they were our. They were the antithesis of Atari. Atari was the Disney of video games. We were pure and unspoiled. They were the mob. They would. They would. They were. They were ruthless. And uh, when when we started making pinball machines, we got spies in. I, I I could never prove it, but I always felt that we had spies. <laughs> I'm Jeff Bell, former engineer at Atari Coin Op Division, and you're listening to the Ted Dabney Experience Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Richard May. So, it's been quite some time. Sorry about that. We couldn't quite get everybody's schedule synchronised during the last few months, but we should be back on a more regular schedule going forward. If you're new to the show, you should know that our remit and focus is quite specific, that of speaking to the leading lights and, occasionally, the supporting cast from the proverbial golden age, i.e. the 1970s and 80s, of video arcade gaming. But we're no less ambitious for it, and regardless of all the inside baseball and Paul's proclivity for asking our guests about Atari co-founder Nolan Bushnell's hot tub, we ultimately aim to bring you interesting human stories. A bunch of platform glitches saw me bow out at the top this time, and leave Tony and Paul to conduct matters for this episode, in which we spoke with the longest-serving member of Atari Inc., hardware engineer and bona fide renaissance man, Jeff Bell. Jeff pretty much saw and did it all at Atari over the decades, and was, quite literally, the last man to turn out the lights in 2004. As ever, thanks for listening. You can find all the usual social media links at tdepodcast.net and support us at Kofi. The URL for that is ko-fi.com forward slash tdepodcast. Hi, I'm Gary Vincent. The Ted Dabney Experience Podcast is brought to you in association with ACAMP the American Classic Arcade Museum. Visit ClassicArcadeMuseum.org to learn more about our collection and visit us in Laconia, New Hampshire. Jeff, welcome to the uh, the podcast. Thanks for giving us this time. Um, we've had many former Atari employees as guests on the show, but we believe that you hold the record for the longest serving at almost 31 years at the company. Is is that an enduring source of pride? Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank, thank you for having me. Um, uh, it, it is it is an enduring source of pride. Um, it was uh, quite a, a ride, as they say. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. Do you, do you mention it in conversation with people? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, when, when it comes up, you know, when people say, you know, I'm retired now, so often... Mm. Uh, uh, 
the the, the uh, people I, I associate with they're mostly retired too or or, yeah. or and they, they you know everybody says well what did you do and um you know I, I I I worked at Atari you know and and that pretty much shuts everybody down about the great things they did you know because <laughs> I I live here in Silicon Valley and everybody's everybody's worked on magnificent things you know but yeah. I I worked at Atari yeah just we, stop we, them dead. And we stopped. We started it. So was... yeah, exactly. Yes. Um. Interesting. You were there. You know, virtually at the start. But you were, you, like you said, you were there at the end. You could call yourself the last Atarian. Yes, I which, am. Um, which, uh, which sounds like it could be a Netflix documentary. Maybe one day. <laughs> um. So you were actually there when when the uh, the you personally closed the doors in two thousand. I, I did. I I, uh, I was the. I turned off. I. I, I sent out my my goodbye email to everybody and uh, turned off the uh, compu- the servers and um, boxed them up, shipped them out. You know, uh, walked the halls to make sure nobody was left in. That because that could happen. <laughs> yeah, though. <laughs> and 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 uh, we had a and and that and I walked out the door in January twenty uh, two thousand four. Yeah. So actually, that's yes, almost exactly. Um, th- yeah, twenty years ago from that date. Oh, it's all very circular. This. Um, lots of people work for Tari. They came and they went. Jeff, why do you think you stayed so long? Because uh, um, I loved it. I I I never felt like I worked a day in my life. Um, even after I left Atari, I've been really lucky in my life. And uh, Atari was, you know, I never felt comfortable at Atari. I never felt that it was gonna gonna last uh, more than a few days. And and year after year, I felt the same thing. And we had layoffs every year. And and so it was like the shoe could fall at any time, you know. And and the great experiment would be over. And and. So I never, I never felt that it was a long-term relationship. It sounded like you never took it for granted. Actually. I never took it for granted. I, I don't believe I did. Right. That's, that's fascinating. Jeff, let's take you right back to the early days. Okay. okay. So what about um, before Atari? I mean, did you have like an educational background in sort of electronics and engineering? Well, my, my, my dad was, uh, you know, had been in the Air Force and we, we traveled, we traveled all over the world and um, he was in electronics and um, among other things. And he taught me everything I knew up to the, you know, the point that I was a teenager. Um, and, um, he would bring me home. Uh, he was at, at, at the end of his life, he was a component engineer at GTE Sylvania here in Mountain View, California. And if I found a, a kit, a project in popular electronics magazine or something, he would bring me home the parts for it the next day in his lunch bag. So I got to build lots of cool things and I lot, got to learn a lot about components and uh, that went on to, Served me really well uh, in the future at Atari. I of ended up. It did, yeah, yeah so this uh, would be the sixties. So you'd be a kid in the sixties yeah. making what sort of short wave radios? Oh, short wave radios, uh, test equipment for cars. Uh, you know, um, you know, uh, dumb things. Uh, there was a there was one project uh, uh, that was uh, you know there was a, the the Jacob's ladder. You know, with the fifteen thousand volts. Um, um, oh yes, yeah. That we see in mad scientists yeah, laboratories. Yeah, yeah. That well, thing, actually, yeah. actually, in in high school, uh, a friend and I built an X-ray machine 
Uh, and so we okay. could experiment with radiation, and the principal <laughs> shut us down when the Geiger counter went off the chart. Yeah. Can so, I say, experimenting with radiation does not always end well. You no, do realize that. No, <laughs> no, we didn't have any shielding, and, and that was that was the science okay. project there, too. Um, so I, I had a lot of... Uh, my dad had this giant junk box full of parts for things, switches and knobs, and and gizmos of all kinds and descriptions that he used that he brought home a, well, at least one of everything that he worked on and so I, I it was a huge collection I mean we used to take vacuum tubes my brother and I we would take vacuum tubes into the backyard and shoot at them with our BB guns. <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, you say, you certainly knew what the you know what went into the innards of a machine. So let let's ask you then: When did you first see an arcade cabinet in, in the wild, as we'd say? The, the first the first arcade game I saw was at the bus station in Denver, Colorado, um, and it was the, a, a computer quiz machine that was made by a company that was later procured by Nutting Associates. Ah, well, I yes. loved that machine. I loved it because I, I was good at trivia and I just uh, I had a great memory at the time. And I could, I played it for hours and hours and hours. And, uh, you know, hanging around the bus station was maybe not the most <laughs> enduring place to be for a kid. But, uh, you know, I didn't play the pinball machines very much, but I did play the, the uh, computer game. The computer quiz game, and th th years later, I discovered that that was that was sold to Nutting Associates, who who then made Computer Space. Ah, so did that, you play Computer Space as well? So yeah, when uh, one day uh, uh, my a friend came over to my house in 1972 and said. Um, uh, which is my mother's house. Okay, came over to my mother's house. I didn't know my house. Um, said, uh, yeah, I, you got to see this. Uh, uh, let's go. And I jumped on the back of his motorcycle. We went to Sunnyvale Bowl, and uh, there was a computer space game. I, it was a yellow yellow fiberglass cabinet. The yellow one is, is yeah, yeah, you yeah. can actually see it on in movies and stuff, I think. Yeah, of, of course. Did you? And it's always hard for for um, for us to imagine what it must have been like to see the first kind of commercial video game. Like yeah. That. So yeah. can you can you recall your sort of in, <laughs> your initial reaction when you saw this curvaceous electronic thing? I loved it. Yeah. I, I I fell in love with it immediately, and and um, uh, uh, my my friend and I had played. You know, we had built model planes for years, and um, this was flying a spaceship, you know, kind of yeah. thing. And yeah. and uh, I just fell in love with it. Put my only five dollars I had to my name in it, and, and then I then I thought I I, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And and I I was then you know uh, depressed because I had no way of ever getting a job with a company doing something like this. Well, of course. I mean, just that whole idea of, of finding out who made this machine. Of course, back in 1972 was not was not easy. So. You did eventually join Atari, of course, in 1973. But am yeah. I right that you actually could, you actually could have joined them earlier? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Well, a, a friend of mine uh, came to. I had I had a, a, a serious lung disorder, and I was in the hospital. And a friend of mine, Derek Becker, came by to see me and said, "I got a great new job." He had a job before that, collecting money out of cigarette machines, and he didn't like it. So he said. 
he was walking around in Santa Clara and he found uh, this place uh, on Scott Boulevard that was looking for somebody to go around and collect money out of machines. So uh, he got that job and bending contacts with pinball machines. So that was the first person, the first of my friends that worked at Atari. By the time I got out of the hospital, everybody worked at Atari, all my friends. <laughs> and and uh, uh, again, my, 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 my friend who took me to Sunnyvale Bowl, um, uh, Keith Lefevre, he took me down to meet Nolan. And this is you know, wow. in the middle of um, 1972, July, August, something like that. I don't remember. Um, and um, I met Nolan Bushnell, mm-hmm. who was wearing um, Bermuda shorts. He, they put <laughs> nice. me in front of they put me in front of a pong machine for a half hour, and then uh, Nolan said, um, "What do you think?" And <laughs> and uh, and I said, "I I love it. I I love it. This is magnificent. It's great." And and he goes, "When can you start?" And and uh, I was that was my job interview. Oh right, <laughs> was playing the pong, and um, so I told him I couldn't start because I had been ill. And he said, well, when your doctor says you can, come on down, you can start. So in February of 73, I went down, uh, my my good friend, um, oh, God, I can't remember his name now. It's a few years <laughs> ago. That's okay. Uh, George Flood. There you go. George Flood. George oh, Flood. Right. Yeah, he... he yeah, he, uh, he, he, he took me down, he picked me up and took me down there and he said, you got you to gotta turn screws on Pong for a week and then you're going to go into QA. Because I couldn't lift anything, you know, I was still, uh. I was still not well. And um, so I, I did, I, I screwed, I put screws in Pongs for, for a few days and then I went to final QA. Well, wait, where I, there was, thought, I was interested in the, the Nolan bit. I mean, you mentioned there he was wearing Bermuda shorts. Yes, I believe Which doesn't so. sound normally what the, uh, you know, the CEO of a company would wear. So what was your first impressions of Nolan? Oh, I, I, I was kind of um, in awe, I guess. Um, I, had, I, I had never really had a job interview before of any consequence. Nothing like this. Nothing like this. And then this was, I had no qualifications actually you know i knew about components and stuff and i'd learned all that from my dad but i I, you know i took i took um i went to jc you know i took i took math i took english you know i took meteorology you know i did took fun classes and um and i was i was a musician back then even i I played saxophone all my life oh i see but that's so, interesting that he wasn't looking for someone. When you say JC, that's junior college. Yeah, right? yeah, that yeah. Right. Okay. Is that he wasn't necessarily looking for, you know, educational qualifications, no. but he was looking for the fact that you understood and that you were enthusiastic yeah, about well, video yeah. games. And, and basically, you know, I had a pulse. <laughs> Good. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, Get so, him in. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can we can we ask then? Is that back then? You know, so seventy three, start of seventy three. Is that was Atari itself a very um, professional setup, or was it a little more casual, like like Nolan's Bermuda shorts? It was very casual, very casual, and and um, there, I never wore a tie to work. I don't think ever in the whole my the whole time. Um, we in in. in in manufacturing, you know, it was everybody had to wear jeans because you didn't know what you were going to be required to do. I had to crawl inside pawn cabinets. Um, yeah, yeah, you don't want to be doing that in a suit. Yeah, no, 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 and nobody wore a suit. The people, people in uh, in in uh, the test department who were working on on boards, they wore jeans. Um, it sounds very very casual. Now it's casual in terms of dress, but yeah. what about in terms of kind of your 
your role? I mean, was it, did you turn up at nine? Did you finish at five? Was it organised or was it, you know, was there was there lots of beer parties in between screwing the, the screws into Pong? There were, there were, there were um, at the very beginning, there was an occasional party. Um, okay. You know, um, when we had a milestone, when we hit a, our first million dollars, there was a party. The, the first, the first million dollars with the pongs that we pushed out the door, and and it was a, kind of a, a point of pride for for those of us in final QA. There was only three of us, Chris, Bob, and I. And uh, so, if you look in the back of a pong, there's a stamp on the on the monitor uh, yeah. board that says uh, it either says eleven, twelve, or thirteen. And um, uh, eleven was Chris. 13 was Bob and 12 was Jeff. And so, so for anyone who's listening here who's got an original Pong machine, yeah, they could it. see whether it was you who personally had your fingers on that board. That's right. That's right. There was a guy uh, a, a couple of years ago who was trying to sell a, a Pong on, uh, on uh, eBay saying that it was personally inspected by Nolan Bushnell. <laughs> Okay, went, mm. and and I looked at I looked at the pictures and I saw because before we had rubber stamps had our eleven, twelve, or thirteen on them, we just wrote our initials on the monitor monitor board. Okay, yeah, and so my initials were JB, and the way I wrote it, this guy looked at it and said it said Nolan Bushnell, and oh. he wanted thirteen grand for that song, <laughs> and it was a piece right. of junk, you know. <laughs> so, I bet he loved hearing from you. No, he That's... did not. <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. Now, I understand that your your job title at that time was Pong Inspector, which has yeah. to be the coolest job title ever. And I really hope you still put that on your CV. That's amazing. It was it was it was uh, a great title to have. It was a great <laughs> job to have. Uh, we would we would get as many as two hundred pongs working on the floor at the roller rink in mountain in uh, Santa Clara, California. At one time, this was a, an old roller rink, so it had the the beautiful wood floor. Ah, and right. and yeah, yeah. You know, I actually used my skateboard to go down the rows of pongs. Oh. and 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 <laughs> what an image! Well, well, yeah, until somebody else who was unauthorized. And had me checked out on the skateboard, got on the skateboard and, and slipped and put it through the side of a pong cabinet. <laughs> and that was the end of the skateboard. So, uh, yeah. Amazing. So you would, I mean, by the time you'd moved to that roller rink, which again is a lovely uh, image, is that how many kind of machines were you turning out uh, a day or a week? Whatever you well, at the, at the original garage on, on Scott Boulevard, where I met Nolan, that would only hold 20 pongs max and that would be that could be a day's production but probably a few days production um at the at the the roller rink where we could have 200 uh that would probably take three days to make 200 pounds wow can i just if you're inspecting them i mean um, without getting too technical is that i mean did they usually pass or was there was there no 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 we had to we had to um adjust the monitors to make sure that they weren't all screwy. Uh, these the monitors, uh, and that's a generous term. These were um, black and white TVs that we yeah. bought at Sears. We bought them at 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 um, you know uh, Target. There was no Target at the time. We bought them from every store we could find them. Um, Hitachi's, Toshiba's, um, uh, everything. And t- we had a department TV mod that would. 
take the cases off and do the modification to the RF section so that it we, it would take a digital input from the board. So and and so we had to adjust each monitor uh, for each game individually. We had we had uh, mirrors on uh, long sticks that we could hold out in front like mm-hmm. a TV repairman would, and we would adjust the uh, the game controls and the monitor controls until it was a good a good image and plus all the other parts. Um, and, and make sure screws were in tight and that they had the right ones and everything. Um, it was a, you know, this is back in the day. We didn't have UL approval. Yes, I was going to say this is a very hands-on yeah, role when it comes yeah, to testing. Yeah, now, look, yeah. we, we've, we've talked to quite a lot about Pong, though, and I'm just going to ask one last one with Pong. Is that So did you see, could you sense that the, the market for Pong was starting to, to fade and i no. that they would need a follow-up game yeah that, I wanted no, to get that no 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 pong pong was uh, uh for every day we made it uh, uh was was uh the the best thing that ever happened on the planet earth you know <laughs> right that was an unbiased view there <laughs> yeah i was i was learning to fly at the time uh flying okay. sailplanes <laughs> and and stretching out every dime i could and my 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 instructor um, bet me that he could beat me on Pong. Okay. Oh, oh. So you were very good at it as well. Well, the, the the three of us, the three Pong inspectors, we were amazingly good. Mm-hmm. A- amazingly good. I mean, unbeatably good. So <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I'll take that bet. I'll give me give me some free uh, lessons, and you can and and or or you know, we took him down on a Saturday, went down to the Pong factory, let him play for an hour. Then I played him, squashed him." You know, <laughs> over and over and over and so, over again. I love this. We we are talking to the Pong champion. I'm loving this. Now, look, I'm going to move after, uh, beyond Pong. Okay. Of course, an absolute huge success, right? But yeah. hang on. We have spoken to Al Alcorn on this podcast, the man behind Pong. And mm-hmm. he says that, yes, Pong was a huge success. But then, as we got into 1973, th- things were not good. Uh, Atari. There was lots of imitators, lots of bootleggers. Games like yeah, Gotcha yeah. and Space Race were not as successful as Pong. There was loads of managers brought in who didn't seem to know anything about games or engineering. Right. You were there during yeah. this time. Yeah. How do you remember that kind of late '73 kind of time? Well, we started. We started making you know the Pong derivatives, and yeah, there were other companies who were ripping us off. Yes. And um, I, I, I didn't want to know about it. I just didn't, you know, people would say, you know, uh, you know, this company put a button in there to make the, the, the paddle go crazy. And we knew all about that because we could, you know, short out a couple ICs on the, the board and make the, the paddle go wonky. Uh, and which those things became games in the, in, in the future. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, at, when we started making uh, Pong doubles, for instance, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was like, okay. Um, it's not a real Pong, but okay. I, I didn't feel that great about it, but you know, it was still a Pong. Um, and we made, um, space race. Uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. love space race. I, I was, yeah, yeah. I was QA on that. And again, I was unbeatable. Like, uh, even to this day, <laughs> I can go straight from the bottom through the top easy. Um, and, and, um, but then we started, we made the, it was, see, like mostly it was cabinet related. We started on a, we had a Pong 2, uh, Pong 2 cabinet and things started to change. They, we didn't, weren't using the, the, the old, um, 
muffin pans or bread bread bread, bread pans that we used to collect uh, coins. Yeah, um, yeah. It we had we had we had we had to put little ABS covers over the transformers so people wouldn't get electrocuted in the in the early pongs. We didn't care. You know, if, if, if you got electrocuted, you shouldn't have been back there. Yeah, there you go. That's it. What a healthy approach to health. <laughs> uh, I, I like that. So you, you were there as, as the, you know, you've just mentioned you were making different games, not just Pong. Yeah. It, but it was a, a difficult time. I mean, was there was no sense that, um, you know, hey, maybe these competitors, we're going to go out of business here. No, not for me. Not for me. Okay. I, I know. I know that there there were those up in the in the front office who may have felt that way, um, but I never got I never got that impression. I never got that feeling. I didn't want that feeling. <laughs> I didn't I like want it. I, I mean, I would have I would have denied it anyway. <laughs> um, you know, we That's had it. we had when we were in Los Gatos. We moved to Los Gatos at a certain point in 1974, and um, that's where um, oh, what's his name? Um, Steve Jobs was working in the Yes, office. yes, yeah. he was. Um, yeah, yeah. You know what? I walked by his office every day, you know, many times every day. Um, and and, and uh, 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 Ron Wayne, the, the third, yes. third yeah, inventor yeah. Uh, or uh, uh, Apple, member yeah. of, of uh, uh, Apple, was yeah. a good friend of mine. And yeah. um, oh, it, it, I never got the sense that, that it was tenuous at any point. I didn't want to know. Like I said, I didn't want to know. Uh, it could have been. I, I know. I know now. It was, and and we had to have money, and and that's when um, uh, Warner uh, Communications, uh, Warner Brothers, um, bought us. Yeah, we'll come to that because that's seventy six. Hey, look, I I can't let you. Oh, it was seventy five. Uh, yeah, seventy five. Sorry, well, when um, I can't let you um off with. You said that you know you'd wander past Steve Jobs. Is it true that he didn't wear shoes? In fact, didn't wear socks. He was barefoot. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and he wasn't. And he wasn't the only one. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> there were a lot of sandals. Um, you know, it was those days, and we didn't care about open-toed shoes. Um, not yet. Not well, yet. We've got- We've got a real insight into the footwear of Atari. You only get this. You only get this kind of stuff on our podcast. Um, I'm yeah. just going to bring you to that time of the mid-70s when things pick up again. Games like Tank, Indy 800, and, and by 76, Breakout. Um, yeah. Jeff, I just wondered, were you very much involved with those pretty successful games, particularly Tank and Breakout? Yeah, actually, actually, you know, it, 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 I worked on every single game we ever made. From beginning to end, in some, in some, and some aspect. Uh, so I, uh, I was an inspector until uh, through uh, Grand Track Ten, Track Ten, uh, the driving yeah. games. Yeah, things yeah. got a little hectic then, and I moved to. Um, I became uh, an inspector at large. Okay, oh. I had, I had, <laughs> I lost mean? track of, I lost track of how many bosses I had. Right. Um, I had, I had dozens of bosses. They would last six months and then go on. Um, so like you said, they were hiring managers and people trying to uh, make things work. And, um, uh, it was difficult. One day we had, we had a really gay, uh, good manager, John Petlansky, and, uh, we were making a game called, was it Duck Hunt? I think we had a, it was a rifle with the, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the optical uh, interface and, and it was a great game, but I walked in uh, John's office and I said, John, um, what's the tolerance on the, um, aiming? And he said, oh, it should be right on. 
And I said, well, they're off two inches. And, and he said, you're kidding. Uh, so he went out there ready to, ready to kick some ass, you know. Two inches off on a on a shooting game is like yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, you yeah. know they they built duck hunt in what 1930 and it was accurate. Why can't we? Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, he said, uh, "We have to live with it for now." Oh, so yeah. Like, just for that's interesting because you you know you're right there at the cutting edge. Just just for this bit, I wondered when you're talking about games like I think is that Quack the game you were talking yeah, quack, about then yeah quack, yeah and then like Tank and Breaker. I just wonder, you would often play these games before oh, yeah. the general public. I just wondered, did you have an, an inkling that, hey, this game's going to be a hit, or yes. mm, I don't think this is one? I just wonder if you knew, or it was always a surprise. When I had a unique there. ability to, oh. to, to, to determine what games were going to be failures. Oh, tell us more. <laughs> if I liked the game, it was not going to sell. <laughs> and that lasted... That lasted... Forever, I think, um, except in one case, I didn't like Beavis and Butthead, and 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 no nobody else did, else did and yeah. it didn't sell. <laughs> I see. So it's the bell curse. If you liked it, the public wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Well, except for Pong, you know, Pong. Everybody loved Pong, yeah. and and you know, everybody, you know, if it comes up in conversation, they go, "Oh, I had one of those," and they go, "No, no, no." I worked in the coin up. The, the real Atari. The real and, one. Yeah. The real Atari. Yeah. Hi, Jeff. Uh, you, you made reference to Ron Wayne there, which I picked up on uh, during my research of uh, uh, to, to pull together some questions for the show. What what can you tell us about Ron and, and what, what he ended up doing after Atari? Well, Ron was an um, uh, engineer at, at, at Atari. And um, he came to, uh, uh, I was working incoming QA in Santa Clara at a new building we had um, also on the same street, Martin F., but um, down the street. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, he, there was uh, uh, two of us there, my friend uh, Rod Peterson and I, and Ron came in and he had come by. We were friends for a long time and he would come by and see how we were doing all the time. And he was just engaging. And he came by and he says, says um, uh, would one of you guys want to uh, make some money? And I said, well, what do you got in mind? And um, he, he was a, uh, he was in, infatuated with Leonardo da Vinci. And he, ha he wanted to make, his idea was to make um, cool scientific instruments um, like astrolabes and gram scales and clocks and all kinds of cool things out of cardboard, illustration board. And he, 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 his, he had this artistic style, which you see in the original Apple logo, um, mm. uh, that, that he used. And he, we made a scale, uh, a gram scale that was 14 inches tall. It used a penny for the calibration weight. And we, he drew up a beautiful 19th century style, uh, uh, artwork for a sticker, a big sticker to fit on this big, 14 inch by 11 inch uh, piece of illustration board. And the, the deal was uh, the, the hobbyist, it was not die cut. The hobbyist had to take his exacto blade and cut out all the parts and put it together. And then he would have a working scientific instrument. Okay. And, and so, so we, Ron and I, you know, we, we had a, a lot of fun with that. And, and so one day, one day I was at his house uh, working on a project with him. He, he had, he just, he just loved 
uh, 19th century engineering, what we would call steampunk nowadays. And he had built a six-foot model of the of the Nautilus from the Disney movie, six feet long. <laughs> and and yeah, you could pull out the staircase, the spiral staircase, and there was little maps in the map room and fish in the goldfish thing. And it was magnificent. It lit up and did everything. And, and he sat me down and he says, um, he gave me a, a, a black and white um, videotape, which was huge at the time. What were they? Those were around um, his early days. Um, and uh, a bunch of photos he got from Disney. And he goes, what's wrong with this model? And so I was sitting there. I'm a QA guy. I'm, I'm a, I have a good attention to detail. And while I was doing that, he was in the kitchen at, at the kitchen table with, with, with the Steves. We're figuring out how to make the um, uh, the case for the first apple, mm-hmm. and and uh, so we're um, we're virtually in, in, within earshot of each other. And um, so Ron Ron was this great guy. He was he was infatuated with uh, old in, old engineering and stuff, and and he collect he was a gold hoarder. And back at the okay. time in the United States, it was not legal. To hoard gold, okay, and and so and and he was a, a, a numistus, and he was a, a philatelist. He, he collected stamps. He did, and he was so meticulous about everything he did, and and he tried to get me to to, to go with the gold standard. You know, I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't buy, I couldn't buy gold. I I could <laughs> barely keep my Volkswagen, and he, and uh, so, but. He, and 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 he taught me a lot about uh, gold and weights of uh, metals and stuff. It was it was a lot of fun. And mm. um, so so I mean, given his his sort of creative outlook, and uh, he was clearly clearly quite an open minded kind of guy. Presumably, yeah. it came as no surprise to you that he went went off to join the the Steves to to set up Apple. Well, yeah, and then he sold it for eight hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, how do I mean? Do you know how he kind of feels about that, looking back, or, or rather, how? Yeah, how, yeah. How... I asked him about it, and he said he, you know, he he did what he wanted to do. Yeah, I guess so. I I guess at the time, if it, if he felt it was the right thing to do, it was yeah, right, the right yeah. thing to he do. Went, he didn't want to be involved in you know some some horrendous thing like that. But yeah, it, interesting. And and obviously, meantime, um, Atari had moved away from Pong. Can you can you tell us how how your how your role kind of changed after? Pong, or was it ostensibly the same Q and A job? Yeah, well, I, I was final QA until uh, through the first driving games we made, you know, Track Ten and Grand Track Ten, and, okay. and then I went on to 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 be just kind of a general inspector at large. I could poke my nose in anything, and then I went to um, incoming QA, where I actually would uh, I joined my friend Rod Peterson, uh, and we we inspected parts. Um, so we, we had to not just inspect parts, but figure out how to inspect them. So if we were going to get a shipment of um, an IC that was used on the board, we actually had Pong boards that I actually have it. I own it. It's right here. Um, a Pong board that's all sockets. And we would take out that chip and put in a sample from the new shipment. And if the game still worked, then it was okay. That was our test, oh, okay. our test rig. And um, I would sit... And uh, we well, one day we had uh, a problem with uh, some uh, power transistors, and uh, uh, my my boss said uh, we got to we got to test all of these 100. percent And so I, I said okay, I'll do that. Um, 
And, you know, you sometimes, have you ever had a boring job that was kind of tedious that you wished you hadn't done? Oh, yeah. I inspected 50,000 of these transistors, and I never got bored. Wow. We put them in, test them, put it in the thing, te- go to the next one, take out the bad ones. It was, I loved it. I loved it. I loved doing that job. It was just a great wow. job. To, so to, with... And with a with a task like that, yeah. was there a was there a sort of failure rate where you know if you if you put in the first hundred chips and I don't know twenty of them failed, would you be like, forget it, I'm not going to carry on? No, no. And in QA at that time, we did not do uh, uh, samples. Oh, we, right. for when 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 the boss wanted something like like this, it was critical. It was a hundred percent. Wow, that seems extraordinary. So yeah. so what would happen to the to the to the components that failed, would they go go back to the supplier for right, a credit? Right, right, right. And 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 and, and later on, as um, uh, Rod and I learned more about what we were doing, we 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 took classes and stuff, uh, and at local colleges and this and that, mm-hmm. and we learned how to do a sample plan on on a, a component that we were inspecting, so we were able to get a lot more work done in the same amount of time. Um, and and that got you know that was uh, we were actually got to the professional level where we knew what we were doing and we could do a good job at it. So interesting. And, and yeah, we, we we then we took samples of stuff. So I get the impression from what you're saying, Jeff, is that whilst your your role was defined to a point, there was an expectation that that you would muck in wherever required. If someone said, "Hey, yes. Jeff, we need you over here. Can you can you come and help us out?" Yes, you would essentially turn your hand to anything. Interesting, and and especially in the later years, um, when I was in component engineering, I was there for you know fifteen years, and I had a great boss, uh, Rick Mayette, who's passed unfortunately, but I had a great boss, um, and and you know when when Windows came out, I I just latched upon it like crazy. It was new, and um, uh, so I became completely Microsoft out while at while at Atari. I was mm-hmm. an expert at Windows. Uh, I I played I played with every version, you know, I've, uh, uh, lots of that stuff. So and and if somebody needed something, I was I was there. I was there. I would go over to their desk and go clicky and uh, fix their problem. And um, it's interesting. It's interesting, Jeff. Having described yourself as uh, the last Atarian, I mean, it almost sounds like. Uh, you were able to achieve that accolade by the fact that you made yourself useful. I did, I did. And uh, I, I wonder if the way you conducted yourself in your career at Atari, whether that, um, whether that meant you were you were there, you know, one of the first in, and and and, and certainly the last the last man. I, I, yeah, we, we had we had a big layoff in um, was it ninety five, mm-hmm. and. Um, it was a big reorganization. We were not going to make coin-operated games anymore, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and there was a big layoff. And I thought this was it. This is going to be it. And uh, they called me um, into uh, uh, the big meeting room, and um, I thought, well, this is. You know. And they said, um, "You're going to go into IT." <laughs> wow. And I yeah. said, "Okay." You know. So I got drafted into uh, uh, information technology. With a new boss, Randy uh, uh, Davis, who um, um, was a great boss. He was my boss for many, many years after that. 
That's great, Jeff. I mean, you know, consciously or subconsciously, you made yourself invaluable to the business, and that you know that yeah. that yeah. Uh, must have been a great yeah. thing. Um, just sort of going back to the very early seventies, Jeff. I wonder if uh, we could uh, ask you about Ted Dabney, whose name obviously adorns this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, uh, most uh, most of the plaudits about Atari, of course, go to Nolan Bushnell. Uh, as we all know, but I, I wonder if if you can tell us anything about Ted and his input into Syzygy and Atari back then. I mean, did, did your paths actually cross? Because he he left like seventy three at some point, didn't he? Yeah, only only in in the most uh, casual way. I mean, I I I, I ran into him, mm-hmm. um, uh, but Nolan and uh, Al and uh, Steve Calfee, you know, uh, and Ted, they were there. Um, but there was hands off. They didn't. They did not micromanage us in in any extent. And uh, Ted, as uh, I, I, he he was not around uh, uh, okay. for a lot of where I was at in manufacturing. We'd see him up once in, once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'd come into the office and he'd look out on the floor. Um, but he never inserted. None, none of them ever inserted themselves into what we were doing on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, interesting. Yeah, and, and at around that time, um, you made reference to some of the um, sort of burgeoning competitors of Atari. How how much of an eye did Atari have on um, what the likes of Bally and Nutting were up to at the time, or or was the view we just need to keep going on on this path we're on? My my opinion at the time was that that um, uh, Bally at all was um, the mob. Oh, okay. they they took over the pinball machine business back in the in the thirties. Um, they made it so that people considered it gambling because it was, and and they bought up every company there was in Chicago. Uh, you know, making making any kind of game or doing anything. Uh, they were the mob. They were the mob, and and they were our they were the antithesis of Atari. Atari was the Disney of video games. We were pure and unspoiled they were the mob they would they would they were they were ruthless and uh, when when we started making pinball machines we got spies in I, I i could never prove it but i always felt that we had spies that were making it were making it so that pinball our pinball division had problems and um you know we made a bunch of games and uh they were cool games they were still making, you know, uh, the old-fashioned uh, pinball machines. They didn't have electronics. They didn't have good sounds. They didn't have good back glasses, you know. And and um, but I felt that they were the mob. And um, and so when when it finally came down that uh, Warner wanted to sell us, and they bought us for twenty-five million dollars in paper, and told us that we had two years to make it up. Or we were done, and you know, I they, I flew back to Chicago. Uh, you know, I I met people back there, and you know, it was it was the mob. They were it was terrible. Um, you know, I'm probably wrong. I'm sure they were you know just all above board by that time. But it sure seemed like it was, and their 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 legacy went back to the 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 20s and 30s where they did that. Do you literally mean they were the mob, or are you just, or are you just sort of suggesting they 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 were just ruthless and shady in in their business practices. No, I I think they were the mob. Interesting. I think they were, and they and they had to work for years to to clean up their 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 act. Yeah. And and um, you know I 
I can't prove a darn thing. You know, it was just just my opinion. And uh, when they when they uh, they finally uh, they took us over, it was like you know, you bastards. <laughs> a very interesting um, yeah. insight there, uh, Jeff. You you mentioned Warner. Um, I wonder if we can just touch briefly on sure. um, sort of seventy five, seventy six when when things got uh, relatively serious, and the uh, the the suits from Warner came along with a check for twenty eight million pounds to uh, buy out Atari, of course. Yeah. I wonder if you got a sense that you had to adapt um, to what must have been something of a significant cultural shift. It was the first time I had five thousand dollars in my pocket at one time, <laughs> and and you know they had said for a long time that you know we're going to remember you guys. You know when it comes down, when it comes, we're we're going to remember you. you know, we'll make it worth your while, and you know it was like having fake stock. You know fake Atari promises. And there it was. I got a big check. Okay. I, I, you know, and at the time it was a big check. And I had a newborn son. Um, I had bills. I had a car that needed work. I bought a new car. We went to Disneyland. I had, I paid off all my bills. You know, it was, it was fantastic. So I welcomed it. I welcomed it with open arms. And Warner, Warner wants to buy us, wants to buy a part of us. Okay, fine. You know what are they going to do? You know, is it? Is, you know, I, how is what is it, what is the change going to be? I don't know. That they said it was going to be hands off. That they weren't going to put their bosses in, and and that it was just going to be the same for us. And we just did it because we needed the money. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. And I was okay with that. And I had a pocket full of cash. Mm. How long did it take for you to realize those um, assurances um, didn't didn't quite? Well, in, in, in 75, I, um, uh, 76, actually, uh, Ron, Ron Wayne again came over and, uh, to my, my office and said, um, the, the, the guy who was doing all the documentation, uh, for the, the commercial parts, uh, Mike Jones was, was leaving and, uh, would, would I like a job in engineering? Mm-hmm. And of course I said, yes, I liked working with Ron. Um, I, I wanted to go to engineering. I knew that was a way to go. And, um, and I left, I went to engineering in 1977. I began and, uh, we had corporate Atari Corp in Sunnyvale. And that's where mm-hmm. I worked in okay. the same building, 1265. And, um, we had some bosses there in the, you know, like, um, what's his name? Ray Kassar. Ray Kassar was a Warner guy. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, the, the phrase that I've said it before, Ray Kassar was an ass. And lots of people said that. And, you know, I didn't have any dealings with him myself. But, you know, while he was there, we were the first company to lose $800 million in a year and survive. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We had, yeah. We had 38 buildings. We had thousands and thousands of employees. We had become this giant corporation that was beyond immense. Uh, and, and it was, it was, you know, uh, it was, a, it was a magnificent ride. I mean, it was a great dream working in, uh, in engineering. Uh, and, uh, uh, we moved across the street eventually into an, just a separate building for engineering. And, um, I was home. I was home. I, I belonged there. That's where I lived. That was me. Right. And, uh, did, did, did you work alongside Jed Margolin? Um, yes, Jeff? Jed. Yeah, Jed, Jed was was yeah. Jed was there, was, 
Uh, he was in engineering, wasn't he? Great guy, yeah. great guy. Yeah. Um, um, just one other thing on the Warner um, piece, just to just to close this bit off, Jeff. Well, was it? What were your observations of Nolan at the time of the takeover? I mean, was it was it obvious to you once the check had been handed over that Nolan was going to walk out? No, no, it wasn't. I, I didn't have the okay. feeling. Nolan Nolan bought the uh, bought the Folger Mansion up in Woodside, California, up the road a ways, and mm-hmm. and he had a couple really nice parties and. Um, Oh. It was it was magnificent, and and I I thought that Nolan was going to be the boss forever. And, okay, you know what we had we had uh, after the the after Warner came in, we had a Halloween party, and Nolan came dressed up as a as a as a um, um, a pig. A uh, 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 what's it, what's the term? Um, uh, a pig. Huh. A pig. Yeah, a money a money grubbing uh, pig. It was a name. Oh, there, okay. Yeah, a there money was a gr- phrase for it. I can't remember offhand. Okay. Uh, so he came dressed up in 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 pink pink a pink union suit, which is long underwear, you know, toe yeah. toe to neck, and with with baby bottle nipples stuck to his chest, <laughs> like he was a, a you know a, a sow and a pig mask. So he was clearly trying to make a point. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun, and he his point was, yeah, we have the money now. We can keep going. You know, we can we can mm. we can expand. We we needed money to to do better because there was competition. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was key games was competition of all things. I I found out about key games and I thought, damn them! I hate them. They're making they're making our games. You know, mm. and and they're they're making they're making crummy ones. They're making crummy cabinets and and with crummy names and crummy this and that's and and then in in 75 uh when we merged and suddenly i was working with the key games people and 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 i realized we were all one team yeah you know and uh so you know that's when we made some of the best games we made uh um uh tank eight indie eight you know um i actually you know um I own, I think, the last Tank Eight arcade game in the in the universe, and uh, my friend Scott Scott Evans uh, has that in his collection, um, mm-hmm. and he takes it to shows from time to time. So if you find a a Tank Eight game, it's uh, probably mine. Amazing, and because wow. uh, I had the guts, and uh, and Scott made uh, got some indie parts and some Tank Eight parts, and made the cabinet up and made it. Uh, as true to the original as possible. So, and that was, oh, it was just a f- excellent game. Hi, I'm Alex Crowley. The Ted Dabney Experience is brought to you in association with the Arcade Archive, a classic arcade museum here in the UK. We're open every weekend in Stroud, Gloucestershire, where you can get hands on with some of the greatest titles from the golden era of video gaming. Check us out at the arcadearchive.co.uk for more information and to book tickets. 
Jeff, let's move on to the end of the uh, the 70s and the release of the all-conquering Asteroids, which really, um, yeah, it was a huge success for Atari. Yeah. Um, I just wondered if you could recall that that moment in Atari's history where you'd got this huge hit game. I mean, what did it mean to employees like you? It was... It, it was um, again. It was it was very much like like computer space. Um, there was another game called Space Wars that um, uh, I would play up at Stanford University in the student union, and it was uh, you were you were sh- shooting it. You know, very much like computer space. You're shooting it at aliens, and they had they had asteroids in it, and uh, they would break apart like that. But when we made asteroids, it was like. This is a good game. I loved Asteroids. And we made tens of thousands of them. I don't know. We made lots of them. Lots and lots and lots. And 75,000, I believe. Yeah. That's the, uh, <laughs> Can the you imagine? Number. Can you imagine? Yeah. It was their biggest hit, wasn't it? Yeah. It yeah. Was. It, was, it was. And then we had, we had a string of hits. We had, we had uh, uh, Centipede. Yeah. I have... I have a, a, an original uh, centipede poster right here on my wall. Uh, the naked lady, wow. the green lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Right. Yeah. yeah. They were all recalled by marketing and destroyed, but you know, some of them got out. Oh, you've got one of the original ones. Oh, I got one of the original what a ones. Design it's, it's never had a, a, a thumbtack in it. It's framed. It's beautiful. It's six feet away from me. I've got, uh, oh, uh, we, we made uh, a millipede, um, yeah. uh, not quite as successful as centipede. We made um, Steel Talents. I, oh, God, Steel Talents. Uh, we made that, that Missile was a monster. Command. Missile yeah. Command. 19, was it 1981? Yeah, we made Missile I Command. Think, yeah. I saw that and I thought, we need to get every world leader to play this game. <laughs> every single one of them needs to play this darn game. And uh, Missile Command was, uh, I played it every day for months and months. Uh, yeah, it seems to have struck a chord with you. I mean, Tony occasionally plays Missile Command. Apparently, he's, apparently, he's quite good at it. Um, but that's interesting that you saw the political significance oh, of yeah, Missile yeah. Command. Well, I was, I was, I was, I was still radicalized. You know, uh, yeah. here in the United States, you're growing up in the '60s and '70s. You know, yeah. I, I went to uh, anti-war protests um, in San Francisco Bay Area, up in Berkeley, San Francisco. Um, and uh of course of course and, so, yeah it was, and, it was it was it was the times and it was fun God. yeah it does you mentioned so you mentioned missile command and also asteroids and millipede and centipede so yeah. that's ed log dave toyer i just wonder did you were you friends with the the designers and coders behind everybody these games? everybody was was friendly everybody was friendly every we we ate lunch together um, right. life was it, nobody, there was nobody you couldn't talk to. Um, and uh, if you walked into somebody's office, you know, or their, their cube or whatever, um, yeah. I, I, I always had a reason to go, you know, because I was, I was in component engineering and generally it was because they had, you know, they wanted to use a part in their game and they, I had to get information on it and stuff and I had to make drawings for it and all that. So, you know, um, they were everybody was approachable always always um and we ate lunch together in 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 Milpitas on Sycamore um, yeah. uh, we had in the cafeteria we had one really really long table well a bunch of tables put together and 
all of us sat there and ate lunch every day. So it was a lot of fun and a lot of friendship and and a lot of camaraderie. And yeah. I'm, I'm interested in the, the fact if you're chatting to them over lunch and being the fact that you've been, you know, testing games for a decade by this point, is that would you would you give them sort of sometimes input into kind of, you know, this really works in that game, or I'm not so sure about that. I mean, could you have a dialogue? Well, well, for instance, yeah, for instance, when when Ed Log was um, working on um, on Steel Talents, we mm-hmm. first starting that, and it was a it was a uh, concept. Uh, you were in a helicopter flying around canyons, and and I flew it in his lab, and it was. I told him that it was awesome. Yeah, but I loved it. It was, it was. This was, this was a good game, and this one needs to be made. And and uh, and it, it it hardly any any similar uh, similarities to what we actually made. That uh, was such a good game, and it didn't sell, right? Yeah. It didn't sell that much. Um, I, I loved it. I played it every single day. We had two two connected together, and and uh, a friend of mine from. Uh, uh, components engineering we'd go and he he flew he flew in helicopters in vietnam so we had a lot of fun and we didn't play that thing on baby mode we played it on hard mode and so it was it was great and to this day i you know i i play uh, helicopter sims and flight sim uh, microsoft flight sim everything um and uh it was a great game and i told ed at the time this was a great game this needs to be made i didn't have any idea of how far he was going to take it as far as the graphics and how the gameplay was and everything. But I knew it right away that this was going to be good because I had played computer space. I had played space wars and, and I want, this was right up my alley. This was flying something. You know, I, I, I learned to, I learned to fly gliders back then. Um, uh, and I, I, um, Anything, I, anything that had a joystick, I, you know, that made you sit in a cockpit and fly, I, I, I totally enjoyed. So, and, and and Ed, Ed, Ed was a great guy. And no, he didn't, he didn't, he was unassuming. He was a great guy. He still is a great guy. Um, I'll tell you one one day um, when I was in IT and I went back to his office and he had he had asked facilities to to put a door in the wall between his lab and his office space, right? So he could expand. And they had not done it on a timely manner. And he was he was there taking a hammer to the wall when I walked in. And and I said, Ed, that's not the right way to do that. And he turned and he said, You're right. I need a saw. And he reached down and got a saw and used that <laughs> okay. instead. I went over after that I went over to um the facilities guy and I said, uh, you know, Ed, 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 Ed logs back there uh, cutting a, a, a hole in his wall, <laughs> and he just he put his head on his desk. <laughs> it, it, you know, Ed was a great guy, great guy to work with, and but you know he was he was aloof to, to some extent, I would say. But you know, I, I and everybody was 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 like that when they were making their games. You know, you, we had to actually have days we we'd have walkabouts where you go around and play play everybody's game that's. Uh, in in some stage of development, and so you know whether it was uh, you know uh, uh, a reprise uh, the reprise of a game or an old an original game, uh, we would we'd have a party and we'd go around and 
play everybody's games and uh, and add any comments you had they they listened to them absolutely and uh, 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 yeah we had brainstorming sessions and uh, people if you supported somebody's game idea they would support yours yeah you know we've uh, we, on the show we've had people like Ed Rotberg who was behind Battlezone Ed Log who did Asteroid and Centipede all games that you were intimately um, involved yeah, with yeah. is that so I mean what was there was no kind of hierarchy then that, you know, they were seen as the superstars and you were seen as the, you know, the others or was, was I there never a got divide? the impression that anybody was um, any less important than anybody else. That's great. Well, I'm sure that helped the creative, uh, creative atmosphere then. Yeah, I think Now, so. things were really going stratospheric uh, for Atari in that early 80s, sort of from asteroids right through to, you know, sort of 83. You know. We could do no wrong. It seemed like yeah. we could do no wrong. There was hit <laughs> after hit after hit. And then come, what was it, 1982, uh, 1981, 82, um, Williams, uh, back in Chicago again, you know, they they Ooh. came out they they got licensed for a game called um, Space Invaders. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, midway yeah. And they they the, the story I heard was that they had a warehouse full of them that they couldn't sell, mm-hmm. and so the bottom fell out of the coin op market. Right. And why would somebody buy uh, one of our games for fifteen eighteen hundred dollars when they can get a space a Space Invaders for a thousand dollars eight hundred dollars. Okay. So this is this is interesting. We're coming to the yeah, we're coming to the the crash then yeah. that we've all uh, yeah. we've all uh, we've all heard about. So yeah. obviously you were there on the on the inside, kind of yeah. you know eighty eight, yeah. two, eighty three. I just did it feel like that this whole coin op thing was just going to end. It had all just been a passing fad. Well, we had we had um, um, t shirts made that said uh, coin op the real Atari. You've probably yeah. heard of it before. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. we felt we were the real Atari. And if there was any Atari, it was going to be us. And um, the, 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 the crash that came affected consumer way more than it affected mm. us. We were yeah, still yeah. making games. And, uh, but the consumer division took it. They got, they got it really bad. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the E.T. game, which was... You know, it rushed yeah. out and uh, unfairly, unfairly, uh, uh, Scott Warshaw, uh, you know, he, he, he got his book, you know, how I, how he killed the... the yeah, the, the, I uh, think he rather revels in that. Yeah, he, he uh, killed the, 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 the industry. <laughs> and, and, and as I've always said, no, he didn't. He didn't. We were still there. We were still yeah. making good yeah. coin-operated video games and selling them. We it's, were the real Atari and we yeah. didn't go anywhere. I, now I want to ask about that because yes, whilst this crash, you—I mean, to be fair, it did have an impact because yeah. it led to the breakup of Atari. But you yeah. carried on. You was in the the um, coin op division as a, I think it became Atari Games Corporation. That's I think, right. That's right. But you were producing some really big hits: Star Wars in '83, Gauntlet in '84. So right in the middle of this turmoil in the industry, you know, around you, did it? On the factory floor, did it feel like business as usual? Uh, we did have a layoff every year, and and yeah. seemed to have a layoff every year, every year for the entire thirty years I was there. Um, <laughs> and yeah. and so at, at Christmas time, over in the consumer d- uh, division, 
people knew that this was it. They would uh, they would work. They would hire you know uh, electronic workers to assemble their stuff, and then um, at, you know just before Christmas they would uh, have a champagne breakfast for them and uh, give them their last check, and they were laid off because they, they they only needed them for you know to stock the stores. Um, yeah. And there was so so much need, in fact, to, to to build production for consumer that people from engineering went over. We went over there and built. We worked on the line as well. We would go in and uh, I, one I one I did was we were building stunt cycles over there, and oh, uh, and I and a bunch of old old friends, you know, in engineering. We all you know were there at the beginning. We we're in engineering now, and. We went over there and we were on the line turning screws, making stunt cycles. And and it was so fun working with each other like that again. Um, oh. And uh, we made more than the regular crew did. We, we put them out. That's it. But like so, you say, you yeah, were the go-to. You know, there, was, there was that, that knowledge that it was, it was temporary work mm-hmm. for everybody That's over it. in consumer. Um, they were... You know, if they were turning screws, they're they're gone after after the holidays. So that's that's fascinating. That's fascinating. I, I had friends that were in the computer division, and mm-hmm. and and that was a a a, a lot better over there. Mm-hmm. Um, there there was uh, you know uh, gr- good success, really good success. I mean, when 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 Jobs was there, he wanted to he wanted Atari to make a. A personal computer, you know, and I used to walk by his office and I'd see the uh, the Altair, uh, you know, eighty eighty, I think it was uh, sitting there, oh, and yeah. I would think, I was like, God, I want one of those, but they're they're like fifteen hundred dollars, and and I could never afford it, and I wouldn't know what to do with it if I did, you know. I took a, I took um, in, in City College. I took a Fortran class, you know, um, oh, just yeah. just for fun. Code, yeah. and it was punch cards, and you know, and it was. It was horrid, and and I didn't finish it and everything. But I I, I had a bug about computers, um, and and uh, all my life, mm-hmm. and uh, so we had a deal in like eighty eight seventy nine eighty eighty in there where if you had if you come up with a project you could have an Atari computer, and so so I signed for my first Atari computer uh, for twelve hundred dollars, and I still have it, and and uh, my engineering project for it was actually to start a bulletin board. Oh, and well, I started, legs in I started, that. I started yes, a bulletin good. board with my Atari computer and that lasted for a bunch of years. Um, that's right. that's, it sounds like you had your hand in, in everything here. Everything. I wonder, you know, in that, that kind of period, 83 and 84 that we were, we were talking about is that if you were very hands on with, with cabinets, you know, these were big hulking things by yeah. this point. Yeah. Star, had, the, we, you know, the cockpit, for yeah. Star Wars and Gauntlet with the four players, is that I mean, was it was some of these quite a challenge to engineer? Well, well, the the industrial design department, you know, um, under Pete Takeichi, who was the the, oh. the the master of Microsoft Project, they they designed the cabinets and um, they were, you know, the artwork uh, and they're all all great guys. They're good friends to this day, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. Uh, uh, Mark Gruber, Tim McCullough, Jess Melcher, God, uh, Mel Loper. Uh, you're, st- you know, you're still in touch with everyone, aren't you? Yeah, from time to time. We had we had a our our fiftieth reunion uh, oh. uh, earlier last. Yeah. I think it was August last year. And mm. um, how many companies have had fifty year reunions? Exactly. Yes. You know? Yeah. And, and how many and, people have been with it? And when we do that, that, when we do that, it's like nothing's happened. We're just 
you know, we were we were apart for a while, but everybody just picks up where they left off. Yeah, you know, how you been? Great. You know, we'll, we'll, oh, I've heard it said it was over oh, this quote. We used to we used to get together and say and see how much we could drink, right? <laughs> and 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 talk about our conquests, right? Now we get together and talk about our surgeries. <laughs> It's coming to us all. Coming yeah. to let's let's go back to the to the, the mid eighties there at Atari. There was a lot of changes from the mid to the to the late eighties. Namco took a controlling yeah. Yeah. kind of share of Atari. And did you have much to do with like the Japanese? Well, again, they told the us business. they told us that they weren't going to put their own management team in, and mm-hmm. of course that 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 changed with uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Nakajima. Yeah. And he 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 was not he was not a micromanager uh, again, but he was there, and uh, he made the most wonderful looking salads in the cafeteria. But he would eat by himself, and or go okay. back to his office. Um, so I never really had much interaction with him at all. That. No, I, I understand. Had your you know in terms of your role as a component engineer. Is that by the time we'd got to the mid eighties, bear in mind that, you know, at this point you've been in the role for a decade. Yeah. Is that, was it, I mean, the technology moved on so much that it was a very different role than it had been in the mid seventies? Well, when I started in engineering, um, I had to do drawings of parts with pen and ink. And, and so I would draw, if I had to draw a monitor, uh, you know, for a specification, I had to do it by hand. And I had to, you know, uh, put, put in all the uh, uh, necessary uh, measurements so that it would fit in the cabinets. You know, it was simple. And, mm-hmm. Or uh, screws, nuts, bolts, ICs, capacitors, resistors, everything we bought outside. The, the, the little basketballs that went in to hoop it up. Those, those were my parts. Uh, and it, right. it, the technology changed. So I, was, I started, when I started there, I was using rub-on dry transfers for the Atari logo, and I was using pen and ink to do my drawings. And, and I was typing all the text with uh, an IBM Selectric typewriter. And, and it was hell. I, <laughs> then we got, I got my first word processor that was uh, 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 basically a, a Diablo 630 uh, printer with a 40-character uh, LED display. Um, it was horrible. It was horrible, <laughs> but it worked. And I got to, I got to, I started uh, doing that. And then uh, they sent me to Wang school right. and uh, Can- I got my first Wang word processor, which had a CRT yeah. and, uh, and I could make my specifications look really nice. And um, so as, as far as my job goes, I had a technology that advanced every, every few months, it seemed yeah, that, that it got better be. and better and better and better. And, That's- and, uh, well, uh, can I just say you must be the only person that on their CV you've got Pong Inspector and Wang School. I just it's, <laughs> I, just writes itself that CV. Amazing. And um, you've mentioned about technological um, developments. Yeah. Let's just take it into the late eighties when, despite a lot of changes in Atari management, a lot of changes in the arcade business, Atari is still producing some pretty impressive cabinets. Stun Runner. Uh-huh. Huge, and you can yeah. sit on it, and like the polygon-based driving sim, race driving, which of course is you know pushing technology again. Yeah. Do you still feel that Atari was sort of leading the way in yeah. terms? Oh of yeah, the, yeah. We we had we had the uh, the police uh, simulator. Um, oh yeah, and and that that sold big. The 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 police here in town where I live um, had several of them, and they had a, a whole. Um, 
training facility that was full of our, our uh, the police simulators and mm-hmm. people from police departments far and wide would come here and well, so they could right. uh, 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 work with the simulator in driving around and uh, you know doing the patrol training and uh, they didn't like us they didn't like the Atari name uh, because we had made some games that oh somebody was able to shoot a cop or something. I don't remember <laughs> that part so well. So they changed the name. They called it AGC. I see. But you, you're not at all concerned with the, the, the police were in the building when you may have had some um, certain illegal substances. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a problem. Um, it was not a problem. But they, 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 they did have to separate it out um, because they didn't want the appearance. They didn't want the name Atari on them, so they didn't have the name Atari. They said it said AGC Simulations or something like that. Jeff, I, it would be remiss of us, despite our the remit of this podcast. Generally, we 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 talk about the golden age of uh, video gaming, you know, sort of seventies and eighties. But I think it would be remiss of us not to cover the nineties briefly. Um, Clearly, you were still at the uh, coalface of Atari's arcade output during the 90s, competing with the advent of, you know, graphically impressive home consoles. Um, oh, yeah. How would the arcade industry change by this point? And, and how do you think Atari met those challenges to keep itself relevant on the floors of the world's arcades? You know, when we made, we made um, um, some really good games at the end hmm. uh, when Williams bought us. Um, WMS Industries, and they said, you know, you have to, uh, you have to pay this back in two years or else. Right. And we paid it back with making one game, and that was. Um, I, I suffer from CRS. You know, can't remember. Um, um, it's, Area Fifty One. Yeah, Area Fifty One. Area Fifty One. And and the other shooter we made then, and um, oh God, was it shooter name? It's a first person shooter. You know it. Um, anyway, um, it sold. It sold big. We made mm-hmm. um, uh, Area Fifty One. It sold big. We made uh, San Francisco Rush. It's it was a it was magnificent. And San Francisco Rush was so awesome um you know a bunch of the guys they they left as atari and went to form their own company silicon motor speedway and they took mm-hmm. that idea uh they have moncrie site rick moncrie's idea was his his his, his team and they built uh, a race car simulator uh that would they would put in uh in arcades and the first one was back at mall of america in minneapolis and they they had a half of a real Formula One car, mm. uh, the the front half, and they had electric screws on it, so it would tilt the opposite of the of the uh, the monitors, which were big. So when you're in the car, you have the experience of actually actually having uh, g forces pull you to the right. side. Uh, if, yep. if if you ever wanted to play a simulator that did that, uh, there's still a few around. Uh, magnificent, and they started their own company, uh, and they were doing that. But they, they, every single one of them was made by engineers. You can't go into production where engineers are working on every unit. Right. So they didn't last too long before they 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 had to sell out, and some other company bought their stuff. And I don't know what happened to them. But mm. um, um, so, would you say it was it it was the ability to embrace sort of the new technologies of the time and turn them into an experience for for arcade games we, we made we made games like area 51 
you know, this was magnificent. It was a, it was a great idea. It was a great mm. game. It was a, and at that time, the state of the art of, of, of the graphics was, was tremendous. And the, 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 the home consoles, they couldn't do that. They couldn't go anywhere near that. Mm. You know, uh, mm. today, you know, you get a, a, you know, a new Xbox. It's pretty good, you know, but back in those days, the home, home consoles, there's no way they could, could touch it. Mm. We, made, uh, we made real video games, you know, where you, yeah. you put a quarter in them and you played it for three minutes and you got a score, you know, and we gave them, we gave the public the best experience they could get. It, we made such good quality stuff. And I guess that's the overall thing about the, the games we made from the beginning to the end. We made quality games. Yeah. It's it's interesting you mentioned graphics. I mean, you've you, you kind of answered my my next question. But I've, 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 I always felt that during the 90s, the focus on graphics and the way games looked and companies trying to outdo each other, I always got a sense that during the 90s, the emphasis was more on graphics than the actual meat and bones of the game. The the actual you know sort of sort of fun of playing a game like I don't know uh, tank or sprint. You know they're graphically very very simple, but clearly there's an element of exciting competitive gameplay there. Whereas you know your your sort of pit fighters or your road riots. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean yeah they're kind of okay, but it, it sort of struck me they they were more about companies like Atari going. Look at these great graphics that we've yeah. developed, and yet those, those particular games—I mean, I've just plucked those, those two out—weren't big, big hits at all. But equally to your point that you just made, I guess if you can embrace that technology and uh, that's creating those impressive graphics, but are able to bolt on some decent gameplay, then you know, I guess you're you're going to have a hit on your hands, like like Area Fifty One. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the graphics were important, but so was the gameplay. We made, we made, um, oh, what was that game with Clint Eastwood with the Russian? Uh, Firefox. Firefox. We made Firefox. And, mm-hmm. and that had a, a, a laser disc in it. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a fantastic game. And, um, yeah. but the laser disc was not. Yes, it was almost like, um, a, it was a, a death. It was the death sentence to have a laser disc yeah, in it. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it was. It was almost like the technology couldn't couldn't keep up with the, um, you know, sort of the the imagination yeah. of so, Atari. And, and it was a. So this was a case where the graphics, the graphics were magnificent, yeah. but the technology wasn't up to keep to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 during the nineties, uh, Jeff, given the relatively low production numbers versus you know a centipede or an asteroids, did that did that change the way the games and the cabinets were designed and what actually went into them? Sure. I mean, we, we, we were able to sort of focus on the design elements of the cabinet to, well, to we create. Had, we had we were we went when we moved to Milpitas, California, uh, down down the road from uh, Sunnyvale. Uh, we we had our own wood shop. Where they, we had to make, we had so much trouble getting good cabinets from other companies around that we started making our own. Mm-hmm. We started our own wood shop, and we had this, you know, robot, uh, you know, train that hauled, you know, wagons full of cabinets from one building to the next, and it was f- fantastic. And we were making a lot of games, but then it, in the nineties, it it went. We suddenly we had to sell sell off. We sold off that business, the wood shop. 
in the building, uh, it became a, a, a company that, that sold um, surplus stuff from other companies, you know, parts. And we actually sold parts to them, too. And then there were times where we actually, I had to go, we went back over there and bought our parts back from the scrap dealer, you know. <laughs> and, and, and we stopped making coin-operated video games altogether. Yeah. And it, at what point, um, Jeff, was it clear that things were coming to an end for Atari? When, when in 95, when we had the big giant layoff and, and uh, Midway took us over, mm-hmm. um, we stopped making um, uh, coin-operated video games. And uh, we, had, we had started a new division called Tengen, of course, which was under yes. Dan, Dan Van Alderen. And um, my job was, you know, I, uh, there was not really no more components uh, needed. And uh, my job, I went to I, IT. Uh, that's why I was able to continue at, at Atari. But right. yeah, it, it was it was like, uh, we're not making coin-operated video games anymore. We're making consumer games. And we couldn't even, we couldn't even put the Atari name on them because of the deal they had with Jack Tramiel. And so... We were still making video games, and that was good. And it was still, you know, the same people. And I had I had a new job. I was in IT, and I was learning all kinds of stuff. I was doing, going to school, learning all kinds of new things. And it was great, and it lasted for a long time. Yeah. Um, so 2003, I mean, yeah. what were your feelings when, when you were pulled into a room and told, this is it? Yeah, I thought, I thought... Um, you know that I wasn't getting laid off, and I was I was surprised. I didn't really, you know, um, I I didn't know why they chose me, and uh, other than you know I had I had inserted myself into the into into um, IT, uh, which really didn't 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 exist at the time when I was doing it. It was just you know I I you know people like um, uh, Dave Shepard and Mike Alba, uh, they they nursed me. Along uh, uh, writing programs, I wrote I wrote stuff that interfaced uh, the um, co- the manufacturing uh, uh, computer systems with the systems we used in engineering. Uh, so if if somebody needed to take a uh, a parts list from uh, for a new game, my program would preload that into the manufacturing's computers. So. I, I got, oh, they, these guys were great and they, they mentored me along and then I was in IT and so I was, I was, I was in the computer room all, all the time before I was in IT. I was doing all kinds of work for them and uh, one day, oh, one day my boss was uh, uh, Gilbert Estrada and he drove off, he got his car and drove off with a laptop on top of his car <laughs> and, and it was ruined and he came back and he said, driver error. <laughs> So I mean, I, yeah. I I wonder, Jeff, how uh, could you explain to us how how you ended up literally being the last man out of the, out of the building? Having- well, well, I I when we were when we were shutting it down, there was a a, a, a core group of us that you know there was uh, Marnie Ritberg from uh, HR and uh, Scott Evans came in. He was an employee. He came in to go through the stuff and uh, and. Uh, uh, surplus it out and uh rick uh rick uh, mcdowell who was facilities he we had to you know still do that stuff um and uh it was just you know five or six of us yeah and as each thing ended we would have lunch and they would go until then there were you know five of us and then four then three and then 
so one day there was two of us and it was it was me and uh marnie the hr got girl and uh, we went to lunch and it was her last day and um when when it came to you know we had a we had a um, tradition of sending out an email to everybody in the company when you were leaving saying you know it's been great and here's my address and stuff my you know my email address whatever when when it came to me there was nobody left to send the email to oh god jeff so jeff god bless you i sent i had everybody's addresses because we collect them all for the alumni list for the for the parties we had in, in the future and so i still had everybody's new email and I sent my email out to everybody else. And then, you know, Scott, Scott Evans and I, uh, we liquidated everything. We unbolted all the computers um, in the computer room. Uh, we surplused everything out. We, um, we filled our cars with stuff. I, mm. I, had, I, I have so much Atari stuff. Um, and, and, um, he, he, he has, you know, he's, he has lots of stuff. He, 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 yeah, I've, I've, I've met and spoken to, yeah, um, Scott's a great, Scott. great guy, great guy. Uh, he really is. I, I, I'm just kind of curious about how, how he managed to in, insert himself into that situation. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. He, he was a just company there. That, that, that would take PC boards and, and reduce them, take the gold out and stuff. Okay. So, uh, yeah, um, and and were you were you clearing out the offices because practically that's what you had to do, or was there a certain amount of we need to save all of this stuff? Because there there's was, a lot of history was, here. We, we uh, you know, I had I had to gather all the computers up and um, had to I examine them and find out what was useful, make sure there was nothing important on them. Mostly, you know, mm. wiping drives and stuff. And uh, they all, they all, you know, they got loaded into trucks and hauled away yeah. until, and, you know, and we would, we, uh, all the artwork on the walls was, uh, you know, side panels from games. Um, yeah. Uh, I've seen a few pictures of that. Yeah. Actually. Oh, they, they were beautiful. And, and Scott raked it in. He got so much good stuff. And I got, I was giving away PCs to my friends and family for years after that. If somebody wanted a, a computer, I had a, I had a storage room full of them. And uh, if you've got any of those artifacts left over, Jeff, and oh, you want I've got to lose most, some of them. Got rid of most mate, of all you can of those, yeah. give me a call. Yeah. I mean, there's three of us, Tony, so we're yeah, sharing yeah. those relics. <laughs> I'm, asking the, I'm asking the questions. Um, the good news, Jeff, of course, is a lot of that old stuff that nobody's seen for many years is sort of slowly dripping out a lot of it went to uh, the strong museum up in in upstate new york and and, and they they've catalogued an enormous amount scott scott i know's got um plans to do something a little bit more formal with some of the things which he has i i wonder what it meant to you personally jeff having spent so many years at the same company and being so entrenched and watching all this history. Yeah, we, we did. We did. I mean, it must have been very difficult for you to, to sort of turn the key on the place at that point. What what did you do next? And, and, and how long did it did it take for all this to kind of sink in for you to think, right, well, you know, I need to... We, um, yeah. So, so yeah, when I, I left, my last day was in January 2004. Okay. And uh, I left with 31 weeks of uh, severance pay. So I was uh, divorced and single by then, you know, and I, I um, didn't know what I was going to do. And so I got in my car and I started driving. You know, I said, well, I've never been to Florida. I'll go to Florida. Um, I never made it to Florida. I got, every time I got close to Texas, I got the EBGBs and turned around. <laughs> I turned around three times. Um, then I decided, you know what? just come back and get a job. I came back, 
came back here to the valley and um, called um, uh, an old friend, old Atari friend, uh, Ron Gould, who um, who credits me with showing him his first computer. Okay. Um, and he had started a uh, an IT consulting company, and he gave me a job. So we were built, we were uh, setting up uh, data centers for new startups. Uh, so I worked with with him for a couple of years, and then um, I got I, I got hired on permanent as well as permanent as is with a uh, one of the companies that we had helped start a company making um, uh, from a bunch of uh, Palm employees, and they were making a, a handheld game called um, Tapwave. Tapwave was the name of the company. And they spent all their their uh, money um, having fun and games. But at the time, we had a it, we were in a building, and um, uh, Google was just down the street, and they wanted to uh, buy the building. And um, I had to give them a tour of all the closets and stuff. And uh, and then I went, and then I and then my my old boss Randy Davis from Atari, you know, um, he was IT at another company, another startup uh, called uh, Conversagent or. Uh, uh, a smarter child. They made a, a a chat client that became used by every company. Uh, you know, Comcast uh, and all, you know, you see them today. Everybody, you know, we used one to get in this chat, and and um, at that company got we got bought by Microsoft, and so I got I got Randy Randy got hired hired as a as a temp for Microsoft, and I got hired full time because. I was a Microsoft guy, and you know they they flew us up to uh, Redmond, and and uh, I had interview after interview after interview, and I didn't realize what it was. In fact, I was so sure, I was so sure that I wasn't going to get this job, that you know they I they put me up at the Marriott, and I went down to the bar to get something to eat, and I stayed there pretty much all evening, and uh, got plastered. <laughs> I got plastered. So the next morning, I went to all my interviews, and I was just like, I'm going to enjoy this. You know, I'm I'm not going to get this job. I'm just going to have fun, and and uh, I guess I asked the right questions and answered the right ones. And they slid a piece of paper across the table and said, um, "What do you think?" And I signed it. And I never made that much money in my life, and um, it was great. And I that was you know I went to Microsoft and I was there for about seven years, and then uh, I I did some remedial work working for a, a chain of surgery centers, doing something that was useful in my life rather than just video games. And I had a great time being IT for this uh, uh, chain of surgery centers. And, um, and, then, and then I just retired. I just retired altogether. I play saxophone every day. As my, I play it as much as I can. Amazing. I've got 10. I can right here. Well, and, uh, I'm, uh, are we going to end the show by getting Jeff to play the theme tune all no, you're not. <laughs> no, okay. Well, um, listen, Jeff, thank you for coming on the show. It's it's uh, amazing to be talking to the guy who was there right at the start and the guy who literally pulled the door shut right at the end. And, and so thank you. Yes. I'm going to say thank you so much for those stories. And 31 years at Atari, please, before you go, did you spend any of those 31 years in Nolan Bushnell's hot tub? No, it wasn't his. Uh, one, okay, point. It was not his. It was, it was engineering's. Okay. And okay. I, 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 I was in, in the room, you know, I, 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 I never got in. Uh, I did not inhale. No, I did not inhale. Right. Not, not there. Uh, that's another story. Oh, um, Jeff, 
Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute um, pleasure. I hope, hope uh, you guys uh, had a good time. Um, Atari was the best. We made, we made uh, great video games. You've been listening to the Ted Dabney Experience Podcast with me, Richard May, Retro Gamer Magazine's Paul Drury, and arcade blogger, Tony Temple. The show was produced and edited by myself with a bespoke score and sound suite by Ghost of Wood. there, Richie? No, he's falling asleep. <laughs> he really has, hasn't he?